and be seated. Amen. Good morning. All right. Welcome home. Kids, if you're here and you're between the ages of three and fifth grade, that's Caricia. Caricia, would you wave to us? Yes. She'll take you downstairs. We've got children's church plan. Go have a blast. It's wonderful. We're going to be unpacking the gospel here as you do it downstairs. Hey, happy Valentine's Day Eve. This is a good reminder, guys. Come on. Um, lots to do, so we'll be moving quickly. Uh, grab your Bibles. We'll be starting with John 3.16. After that, I'm going to be all over the place. So uh, just so you know, this is week two of a series that we're so excited about called our, our Gospel Experiment. And if you were not with us, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go to the website or go to iTunes, both places. You can hear the podcast. The reason is it was the gospel of love, the loving gospel, and that is going to be the foundational truth on which we'll build all the rest of this gospel experiment every week. If, if the gospel was a huge diamond, we're just going to turn it and look at a different facet of it. So that's what we're doing. Um, as I mentioned last week, we talked about the loving gospel. And uh, if you have been using the supplemental materials and the reading plan, hey, great. Uh, if not, don't beat yourself up about it. Grab one of these on your way out. You can start with us, jump in this week. I encourage you to do that because if you've been doing that, if you've been going through this stuff, then you've been opening your heart more and more and more to the incredibly magnanimous, huge love that God has for you. And so we want that to happen. And, and so we just encourage you in that so that you would know his love and experience it more and more each day. God is over the top generous with his love toward you. And, and so this morning we're looking at the generous gospel because love and generosity go together. I'm not making this up, I promise. Take a look at John 3.16. And as we did last week, I'd ask you if you could read it with me out loud. Let's do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You did great. You did great. Now, in the beginning of that verse, there are two verbs. These are action words. Okay? What are they? Loved. You didn't know this would be so educational, did you? Loved and gave. Okay? So we see the connection. Love and generosity. Love and giving are connected. Now, um, you needn't be a follower of Jesus Christ to understand this, that love and giving are connected. You need only be the father of a daughter. And, and some of you know of which I speak. Some of you daughters know because you play the game. Now, um, we have a ton of very adorable little tiny girls in this church, and I'm glad for it. But, but fathers, I love you, but I have to tell you the truth. You're toast, man. You're toast. It is over. Because as soon as she realizes the connection between your love for her and your generosity, it's over, baby. It's over. The only thing you can do, the best thing you can do is try to delay, delay this understanding. You girls, you're not, you know what you do. It's an exquisite burden. It's a beautiful thing. 
we have a daughter, Quincy, who is now 18. She's a freshman in college in California. And Quincy realized this connection when she was two and a half. So it ended for me really early, right? Here's how, here's how it goes. It's really, it's really a brilliant setup. The conversation starts like this. Daddy, do you love me? And then comes the request. It's beautiful, isn't it? First, she reminds me of our relationship. You know, daddy, daughter, do you love me? Of course I do. Then comes the request. It's beautiful, really. And, and, and it's, it's the truth. And it's not her idea. It's God's idea, as we just saw. For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved that he gave. Love gives. The Bible is an account of this magnanimous generosity of love and in every other way of God um, for people who, frankly, don't really deserve it. And uh, over and over and over again, God is generous. God is generous. God is generous. This is just a, a, an abbreviated highlight reel of, of the Bible and God's generosity, okay? It starts in, in Genesis. Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates our, our first father, Adam, and he doesn't just parachute him into the wilderness with a compass, a canteen, and a Rambo knife. It's a good luck down there. And by the way, watch out for the snakes. They bite. No, he doesn't. He gives him a great setup. Beautiful, right? He's got the manicured gardens. He's got all the beautiful trees, the fruit-bearing trees, all the vegetables and things. No Brussels sprouts, mind you. This is before the fall. So he gives him that. He gives him all the fish, all the animals. And, and beautiful, beautiful. And then he creates the perfect made for him. It's beautiful. It's generous. And then, and then comes the fall, right? With everything that God had given our first parents, they still thought, surprise, they thought God was holding something out on them, right? So they do the very thing that, uh, that we've inherited, do the very thing that God forbids. And so sin enters the world, and with it, death and darkness and depression and a fracturing of the universe and everything that's in it. So everything and everyone that, that comes after is now fractured, is now broken. And our relationship with God is fractured as well. It's fractured as well. And um, disease and death and shame and guilt come on the scene. And God has every reason to slam the brakes on the generosity train, does he not? But he doesn't do that. What does he do? What do we see? He clothes them, he covers them. And then in Genesis 3, he promises a rescuer, a savior, the Messiah, who is going to come, heal the brokenness, redeem them and all creation. Jesus Christ, he promises it, and he's generous again and again and again. Later, in Exodus 16 and 17, you can look these up, the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, right? And again, because of their disobedience, they're wandering, but they're hungry and they're thirsty. So what does God do? generous, generous. He gives them fresh, clean water out of a rock. Every night, miraculously, quail come and cover their camp so they have meat, meat to eat every day. And then every morning, miraculously, he rains down bread from heaven called manna. Now, his only rule is this. His only rule is this. Only gather the manna that you need for you and your family that day, right? 
But there are some yahoos out there who, who don't believe God is going to come through again. And so can you picture them? They're hoarding the manna. Okay, dude, here's the plan. We're going to hoard the manna. We're going to hoard the quail. And then when God doesn't come through, we're going to have this drive through We're going to sell quail sandwiches. That's what we're going to do. We'll call them McQuail. <laughs> really? God's people, right? He's coming through for them, and we just don't count on it. But he keeps the generosity coming. He's keeping the generosity coming. And he continues that throughout the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament. In Luke 2, God uncovers and shows us the most incredible generosity the universe has ever seen. And the angels are talking to the shepherds, and they say this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. All that brokenness, all that fracturing, the fulfillment has come. God has so generously sent his, his only son, God, the rescuer, God, the Messiah, God, the Savior. Jesus Christ has left his throne in glory, put skin on, and come down to be our hope, to be our rescue, to be our salvation. That is generous and to unveil the heart and the character of the Father in a way that we could never, ever know it otherwise. Then he goes on, he grows up in Luke 5. We see Jesus calling his apostles, right? These are the guys who are going to lead the rescue effort, right? Who are going to be on mission with him. And then after he dies and resurrects, they're going to write the Bible and, and put everything in place. Who does he pick? He's going after Peter. Who's, who's a professional fisherman and a pretty lousy one, apparently. Because in Luke 5, what do we see? What do we see? Peter is coming in from this lake that he has fished every day for his whole life. He's been out all night. You know what he caught? Nothing. Bupkis. Zip. He's there. So he's not even a good fisherman. And Jesus calls him. That's generous. So what does Jesus say to him? Throw out your nets one more time. Just one more time. He goes, okay. I mean, what has he got to lose, right? So he throws out the nets and what happens? It fills with so much fish, another boat has to come help him and it's sinking them both. That's generous. Now, as he's trying to haul all these fish that more than he'd ever seen in one place before, and he's trying to haul them in, can you imagine if Jesus said to Peter, if Jesus said to Peter, Hey, Pete, before you take all those fish to market, you think I could have one or two? All this miracle work is making me a little hungry. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Peter said, are you kidding? I got a family to support. Go get your own fish. No, Peter would never say that. Why? Because he knows that without Jesus, he's got no fish, right? Here's something to think about. Uh, John 2, <coughs> there's a wedding, big party. We're not talking about a reception. These parties after a wedding, and it's something to think about, Mallory and Zach, these parties after a wedding would go on for days and days and days, and Jesus and his disciples are invited to the party because the party don't start till he walks in. And he gets there. I'm with you. I'm cool. I'm middle-aged, but I got a foot in your camp. You know what I'm saying? So he's there, and what happens? 
tragedy of tragedies, they run out of wine. So Jesus takes what is essentially tap water and he turns it into buckets and buckets of top shelf wine. This is the good stuff. This is the good stuff. He doesn't just make a little. He makes 120 to 180 gallons of the stuff. Now, I did a little study, and with a typical regular bottle of wine, it takes five to a gallon. So that is between 600 and 900 bottles of top shelf wine that he makes so the party can continue. Now, can you imagine if Jesus says, hey, hey, to the wine steward and the groom, um, before you serve this, uh, could I just take a couple of bottles for me and my friends to celebrate? Could you imagine what I'm saying? Um, Jesus, um, you've been here. You've seen this all play out. We already ran out once. Can you imagine if we ran out again and we were just short those two bottles you took? Yeah, I don't think so. They're not going to say that. Why? Because they know that without Jesus, they got nothing. Nothing. So we see over and over and over again, loaves, fishes, healing. We could go on and on. But you get the, you get the point. Regardless of how we respond, God is generous. And he saw what we saw the motivation of God's generosity. It's his love, right? Now, if we are to understand and really grasp the magnitude of his generosity to us, we have to understand this critical truth in Psalm 24.1, okay? Psalm 24.1, here's what it says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, that's in the ESV. The NIV puts it this way. Helps us understand it a little bit more. The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. Everything that's in it. Do you get that? Do do, do you grasp that? The earth, the creation belongs to God and everything and everyone who is in it. That means he owns what? Everything. We own what? Nothing. He owns everything. He owns your house. He owns your apartment. He owns your clothes. He owns your business. He owns your iPad. He owns your technology. He owns your everything. He owns, men, what's in your wallet? He owns it. Ladies, he owns the contents of all your 15 purses. He owns it all. He owns that stuff that my bride uses to make his hair do that thing. He owns it all. He owns it all. We, he owns everything. We own nothing. So what do we do? No, this is true whether we're followers of Jesus Christ or not. He owns it all. What are we? We are what the Bible calls stewards. We are managers of his stuff. And over and over again, particularly in the New Testament, you're going to hear Jesus telling stories, telling parables about the king going away and coming back and seeing what his, his people have done with the stuff he gave them. So it's very important. It's very important. We're stewards. And God knew that his people are broken. He knew that we would get confused and start saying, this is my stuff. This is my crops. This is my cattle. These are my sheep. This is my Nintendo. This is my weed. This is, you go on. This is my money. 
So he gives us this, this warning, this reminder, because he loves us and doesn't want us to go wrong. It's in Deuteronomy 8, the 17th and 18th verse. Now, 17 is about what we shouldn't do. 18 is about the truth. Here's 17. Beware, be careful, lest you say in your what? In your heart. This is a heart condition like everything else. We're not talking about behavior. We're talking about the root. That's the heart. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. I'm talented. I have a great work ethic. I go to work. I do. I have gotten all this for myself. Here's the truth. Verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers to this day. Why does God give us gifts and abilities and talents and open doors and opportunities for us? Why does he do this thing? For him, it is for him and for his purposes, for his covenant, for the love relationship that he wants to build with us and wants us to let everybody know, everybody in our family, in our friendships, in our residence hall, in our blocks, everyone to know. That's why he has blessed us, so that he can use us to bless others for his glory. Now, we don't have time to dig into this, but throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God talks to his people, God calls his people, he commands his people to worship him in a certain way. It's called first fruits. And first fruits are exactly what they sound like. It's the first of their harvest. So it was a, it was a, it was a farming culture. So what he said to them is, when the harvest comes in, I want you to take the first 10% of that and I want you to offer that up to me as a way to say thank you because the whole harvest is his, right? And they know just like Peter had no fish and, and, the, and the wedding people had no wine, they knew that without Jesus, they don't have a harvest. Without God, they don't have a harvest. He said, no, I don't need wheat as God I don't need a sheep as God. I could just say wheat and there would be wheat. I could say sheep and boom. I don't need you to be giving me stuff because I need it. What I need you to remember is that I blessed you because I love you. I'm generous with you because I love you. And I need you to remember so you don't get all wrapped up in yourselves and drift from me that it's my generosity and my love that sustains you, that blesses you. Here's a way to do that. And when you do that, I'll increase your harvest. I'll increase your harvest. This becomes what church people, if you grew up in the church, is called the tithe, which is a fancy word of saying tenth. I think we just like fancy words. And, and is a model of a way that we can give thanksgiving to God who owns it all and gives to us generously. Now, anyone who has not spent the last 20 minutes texting knows where this is going. Um, so I would ask you to stay with me because it may not turn out the way you expect. So go back to John three 16. We're going to see the best example of God's generosity for God. So loved the world. It says that he gave God, the father gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God gave it all. He didn't say, mm, I don't want to pay too much for these people. Have you seen them? Do you know how they get off track? No. He gave the best. What does God give? Jesus. He gave us himself. 
Jesus comes out of grace and generosity. He leaves the sweetest setup in all of the universe in creation. He's on his throne in glory. He sees his people, us, suffering and needing rescue, needing a savior. So he leaves that to come, to come and put skin on, to live the life that you and I, to be honest, should have lived. And to die the death on the cross that you and I, according to the Bible, deserve. And in that, he not only takes all our sin upon himself and goes to the cross to pay the price as our substitute, for our sins in our place. He not only does that, but he does even more. He does even more. He gives us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is beautiful. For our sake, that's you and me, God the Father made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, to become sin, even though he knew no sin. That's every nasty thing we've ever thought, said, done, every harmful thing that's been done to you, all the brokenness of the world. He became that and killed it so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's incredible. That's incredible generosity. Not only did Jesus go to the cross so that my sin, which is much and, and much more than it ought to be, would be paid for and washed away and my slate would be clean. He did even more than that. Eric, if you were to die today, and I hope you don't because I love you, man, and you were to go before God, I know you're a follower of Jesus Christ, so I can say this. Not only would you find that your slate is clean, but it's not empty. What's on your slate, Eric, is all the righteous things that Jesus Christ ever did credited to you. Yeah, they're going to throw a ticker tape parade, dude. Who is this guy? Look what he did. Jesus not only washes our slate clean, he, he what the Bible calls imputes. And, and what Martin Luther called the great, um, the great exchange. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. That's generosity. That's the generous God we serve. And the generosity doesn't stop there. It just continues. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. All things. We're rolling. (laughs) And the Bible talks continuously, continuously in the New Testament about the great inheritance that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Inheritance. Do you get that? We're all trust fund babies, right? There is this great inheritance. God's all his riches. He lays them open. He says, they're yours in Christ. They're yours. Inheritance is what? You don't earn that. You just get it because you're related to somebody who did really well. And you get it when they die. But the great thing is, he's alive. So we get him and we get all of the blessings of being. Now, it's it's really common for us to get real excited and want to do Bible studies. What's heaven like? What's this like? What's that like? Streets of gold. Do they have mint chocolate chip ice cream? Because I really love that. Blah, blah, blah. And, And the Bible tells us some really cool things about heaven. But you know the really cool thing about heaven? Jesus is there and you get to be in his presence and love him and enjoy him and serve him and worship him. And, and you know what? I could be on dirt roads and that would be just incredible. But God goes far beyond that. 
What did any of us do to, to deserve God saying, all the riches in Christ are yours? How do we say thanks to God for that? Through our first fruits. Through our first fruits, giving back to him a portion of what he has generously given to us. Oh, there it is, Marge. I saw it coming. Church is about money. All they want is your money. That's what it's about. If you're visiting and we're talking about money, you may think that's true. The last time I preached on money was in 2009. Check the podcast. We did a series on money management called Flow. I've really done you a disservice to wait so long to to preach about it again. But money is not what the church is about. The church is about Jesus Christ. And this is not really about your money. It's about your heart and mine. That's what Jesus is interested in. That's what Jesus is interested in. But if he has our heart fully, then our money and everything else are going to flow because God lives with an open hand, right? We've seen it. And his followers can't be closed-handed people. We have to be open-handed to everyone, to the poor, to the needy, to his kingdom purposes for everything, with our time, with our talents, with our patience. And you're going to need some patience today for me. Now, I want you um, to realize that as I share this, it's in thanksgiving. What do you mean, Tom? I mean this. The people you are sitting next to, and may probably even be you, are extraordinarily generous. This church has come through in the five years I've been here again and again and again and again to see God's purposes moving forward, to see his work being done, funding that and helping poor and needy people. Do you realize that God has used your gifts to make possible? 32 people came to Christ to this church and the ministries last year. Two people last Sunday. I'm thrilled. That's what it's about. And, and God has moved on your hearts and you've given again and again and again to make these ministries, this place, the operation of this possible. Because when we pass the plate, that is it. That's the source of revenue for this, for this effort. There's not some big Bethany consortium out there that sends us money to keep going. It doesn't happen that way. But the people of this church have come through again and again and again to help people in need too. You're not here to see it, but Ryan and Ryan and Ryan and Ryan and Ryan are here with Marlene and people come through the door all the time, particularly in the summer months where they're trying to make do without shelter, without food and without money. And you know what we do? We help them. Why? Because you give. So it's being channeled. In fact, last week, $2,000 went out the door for two people that you know and love. One family is having a hard time putting groceries on the table. You helped. There was something awful that happened this week. We have a widow that many of us know and love who was behind on her credit card bills, but because the credit card was from this particular bank in town, the parent company seized all her assets. She went to pay her bills online and saw a zero balance. They had sucked out $1,800. She had nothing. It's the beginning of the month. There's bills due. There's food to buy. There's insurance to be paid. There's a mortgage. What do you do? You replaced it all. Because God moved on your heart, and you give, and it goes out, and it blesses people, and it glorifies God. So this is all in the context, context of saying thank you. Now, If you give financially and generously, I love you. God loves you. If you don't give financially or generously, 
I love you. God loves you. The message here is Bethany is not gun smoke. You know what gun smoke is? It's that, it's that uh, truck stop gas station outside Buny where, where everybody from Gunnison has to stop on the way to Denver. If you're missing Gunnison, people, either go to the Walmart in Montrose or go to Gunsmoke. Right? Have you seen the signs that they put up on the restrooms that are trying to guilt you into buying something so that you can use the restroom? I was coming back from Denver this past Friday night on Western Business. I went for free. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of those signs. Bethany is not gun smoke. You can come here. You can be blessed by the word. You can be blessed by the worship and the ministries. And you don't have to give. That's not, that's not. Look, giving is not what saves us. Trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross is what saves us. And those of you who do give should not give to try to get God to love you more. If you were here last week, you know you can't do that. You can't make him love you anymore. Can't love you any less. So if you're going to give and you're going to be generous, do it because he already loves you. He's already blessed you. And you're just saying thank you. That's the only motivation. If you're trying to do it to become an elder, whatever it is, no. The only reason to give is to say thank you and to worship him with the stuff he's blessed you with. We have to talk about money because Jesus talked about money all the time. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, he's talking about money more than he talks about anything else. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us and he knew the misunderstanding of what money is and what it can do and the mishandling of that and the lure of that and the security, the false security that a lot of money can... He knew that that would be one of the easiest things to separate our hearts from him. And so he talks about money a lot because he doesn't want us to let something that he has given us to become a God substitute, to become an idol. He doesn't want that to happen. So the other end of the pendulum, and I want to warn you against this because there's a lot of books out there and there are a lot of people who say one of two things. They say either the prosperity gospel, right? You give and God gives you and that's, that's the whole thing. And if you want to twist God's arm behind his back and make him bless you and the best way he can think to bless you is give you lots and lots of money, then you have to give lots and lots of money. That's one end and that's wrong. That's wrong. If you're reading a book where you're listening to somebody on a podcast or TV that's telling you that, it's a lie, okay? Well-intentioned probably, but it's not true. On the other end are the people who say money and stuff and all this are evil. They're not. They're not. They're morally neutral. What we do with it is what determines whether it's used for good or whether it's used for bad. So don't swing the pendulum too far one way or the other. So Jesus talks about it a lot, and he loves us. And it's easy to see why we need this advice. I mean, you think about it. Look at the way Americans, I'm not talking about you and me. Look at the way we spend, right? Consumer debt, consumer debt and credit card problems and all that stuff, mounting debt, which is essentially buying things that we don't have the money to buy. That is suffocating people that Jesus loves, right? It is weighing them down. It is fracturing marriages and families and creating all kinds of stress. Because really, a lot of us don't just buy the essentials, right? We don't get rid of our stuff 
because it's broken or, or doesn't, you know, it, it's worn out. Do we? I mean, a lot of the time we're going, they have an iPhone 5. I hate my iPhone 4 now. Got to have it. Got to have it, right? How many of us have bought clothes last time because we have no clothes or our clothes have worn out? No. Shopping is a sport, right? They came out with something that makes my something look like nerdy something. So I need. And we buy. That's what we do. I want you to think about the concept behind garage sales. You ever go to garage sales? In the spring, there's tons of them here. Everybody's selling everything, spring and summer in Gunnison. Go out to a garage sale. Now, all the ugly sweaters, all the junk, all the garbage, and the Nordic track machines, and whatever you got that is there, I want you to look at it, and then look at the people who are having the garage sale. Because at one time, everything that is on sale they thought it was so cool they couldn't live without it, okay? Now they're practically paying you to take it away. You ever seen that cable show, Hoarders? Oh, oh, that's it. You seen it? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Are you alive? Good, good. Don't watch the show if you just had like something to eat in the last hour because it'll make you sick, especially like those animal hoarders. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the stuff hoarder people. If you haven't seen it, these are people who accumulate stuff and so much stuff that it's piled up to the ceiling and and the wife has to like waddle through this dark tunnel of stuff to get to half a chair that she sleeps in because she can't find the bed. And the husband, the husband can't fit on the other half of the chair because it's covered. So he sleeps in the broken down pinto that's on the front lawn. It's really, it's really bad. And your heart just aches for these people. But you know what? You know what? A lot of us are really not as different from those folks as we'd like to think. Those folks just never have garage sales. They just never take out the trash or go to the dump. If you and I could see all the stuff throughout our lives that we've accumulated, I think it would be staggering. I think it'd be staggering. We look at money as security. I can't tell you how many times I've heard like committed Christians come into my office and really seriously, they're serious about this. Talk about the possibility of winning the lottery as if that is the best thing that could ever happen to them in their life. Let me just say that it occurs to me that for followers of Jesus Christ, winning the lottery is sort of redundant. You have a father that owns everything in the universe that says, all I have is yours. Some of it now, some of it you might have to wait 60, 70 years but everything I have is yours. For a Christian winning the lottery and thinking that's our security? No, my security, your security is the one who loves you. The one who gave his son to pay the price for you, to set you free, to give you his life, to give you all the riches in Christ. Giving generously to God shows us seven quick important things about ourselves. I just want to quickly run through these. It shows us that we recognize that everything belongs to him and is a gift from him. Psalm 24.1, we're thankful. We want to give like he gives. We want to see. You want to see how generous God is? You want to see? You want to feel it, experience it? 
Walk in thankfulness. What does this look like? What does this look like? If you're going to walk in thankfulness, you wake up in the morning, you thank God that you have another day. Thank you, God, I have another day. Thank you that I'm sleeping in a bed that you didn't have. Thank you for these covers. I'm warm. Some people are cold. Thank you for oatmeal because it's lowering my cholesterol and I have food. Thank you I have a choice of what to eat this morning. Thank you for that beautiful sunrise. Thank you for these mountains. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have a refrigerator. My perishables are staying fresh and cold. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm getting a shower. That's hot water. Most people in this world don't have hot water. Thank you that I have an Axe body spray that makes my wife really like me. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you that I go into my closet and I have a choice of what to put on. I don't have two choices, clothes or no clothes. I pick what I feel like wearing. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you that I'm getting ready to go to a job. Thank you. And some of you can't say that, right? Thank you. Thank you for these people who love me at my work. Or thank you for these people who don't, who are giving me the opportunity to learn how you love me when I'm ugly to you. Keep going. You're going to be the most joyful person you've ever seen. We have a lady here who's sick this morning. Now I'm going to talk about her. Her name is Mary Perkins. Many of you know her. She um, was at prayer Wednesday night. She's battling cancer. You know what she said? You know what she said? This woman who has a family who isn't real sure yet, she just got, she found out Friday, two days later, that her tests are clean. Praise God, my heart leapt when I was away, but I got the text. But you know what she said Wednesday? Life has changed for me and everything is a thank you. Waking up is a thank you, God. Seeing my husband walk through the door is a thank you. My kids are a thank you. My lousy house is a thank you. Everything is a thank you. I don't care what Vogue tells you is beautiful. She is beautiful. Because she knows how generous God is. We got something else to thank him for. Her tests on Friday. Praise God. Giving generously to God shows us about our hearts that we recognize that everything belongs to him and is a gift. Number two, it expresses our thankfulness to God for Jesus and this cross and all his blessings. The whole concept of first fruits is, is based on that. Every one of us can be thankful, thankful for Jesus. Without him, we have no hope. We have no life. We have no true love. We're stuck in the curse but because of him, we can be forgiven and free and reunited with God. Redeemed, you know what redeemed means? It means we bought out of slavery. That's what he did for us. We can be thankful for that. Do you know that every single one, I know most of you, right? We know each other. I don't, anybody homeless? No, I'm serious. Because in the summertime, we'd have people raising their hands. But if you're not, you and I have more than Jesus did, the king of glory, when he walked the earth. We do. That's, that's generous. Jesus is talking to this guy in Luke 9, 58, who's thinking about following him. And he says to him, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man, I have nowhere to lay my head. Are you sure? Are you sure? Three, it shows us that we love God more than we love his stuff. 
Giving generously says we love you, God, more than we love our stuff. You're number one. You're number one in our lives. <clears throat> we have a lot of <clears throat> people, and we'll get to this in a, in a bit, that say, you know, I'll, I'll give. I'll give to God. Now, what we're talking about is not giving to Bethany. Do you, under, do you understand that? I'm talking about giving to God. You just use Bethany as a way to do that. You can give to poor people as a way to do that. You can give to missions as a way to do that. But it's all giving to God. Say, I'll give when I, when I have more. Probably not. Probably not. I mean, my full-time job is fundraising for the college. I've worked in this field for more than 20 years. And I will tell you, in that 20 years, I've seen people go from the most modest of circumstances to making so much money that they've lost count of how much they have. All that you and I are likely to make in a lifetime is a rounding error for them. And those who lived with an open hand and lived generously when they had little, lived with an open hand and lived generously when they had much. And those who lived tight-fisted and stingy when they had little, lived tight-fisted and stingy when they lost count of how much money they had. Why? Because giving generously is not a condition of the bank account balance. It's a condition of the heart. And that's what we're talking about. Gift, gift from the heart. Number four, it proves our treasure is in eternal things, not earthly things. Have you ever thought, you ever thought about this? Everything that you've ever spent is now in somebody else's bank account. Whose bank account is it? For some of you, a lot of it's in Steve Jobs' bank account. Now, Steve's a good guy, but I'm not sending him checks. I don't think he needs it. How much is in God's? How much is in God's? I mean, do you know what he's going to do with it? He's going to advance his kingdom. He's going to save people. He's going to bless people. And he's taking everything you've given. He's investing it. And he's making it multiply and multiply. He's going to give it back to you. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He was a great collector and lover of literature. He had tons of books. He says, what if? What if in eternity in heaven, I only have to enjoy the books that I've given away? Huh. I better, I better just give. I better just give. So he did. <clears throat> Number five, giving generously demonstrates about our heart that we trust God with our finances and want to invite him into their stewardship we're going to get to that in just a second. If you're having money problems, this is time to invite God in and do some of the things and trust some of the things that he's saying to do because he loves you and he wants to lead you in the best ways he created the world to be. You ever known anybody who spent themselves poor? Yeah, nobody. I'm the only one who knows somebody who, who got into financial difficulty because they spent themselves poor. Yeah. You ever know anybody who gave themselves poor? I don't. You can't outgive God. You just can't. And knowing that, some of us don't even try. Number six, it recognizes that giving generously is part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're going to write down one thing, write that down. That giving generously is part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is no biblical context for a follower of Jesus who is not open-handed, who is not generous. Luke 14, Jesus goes far beyond that. He says, he's talking to people who want to follow him. He says, so therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. 
So that's a hard condition of saying, I'm not clinging to stuff, I'm clinging to you, Jesus. Giving generously is part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Cost of following Jesus is not 10% of your income. You remember the old hymn? We got any Baptists here? Come on. I surrender 10%. What? All, right. I surrender all. Hey, the 10% that I give, that's yours, Lord. The 90% you're letting me manage, that's yours too. I just want to do it in a way that glorifies you. Right. Number seven, part of being transformed into the image of Jesus. Giving generously is part of being transformed into the image of Jesus. The gospel is meant to save us, to rescue us from the fall and all the things that come along with it. And to be transformed day by day, little by little. None of us is done yet. We're just on this sanctifying walk all our lives together to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which is going to be complete only when he calls us home. But being transformed into the image of Jesus means being transformed into people who live open-handedly and generously. I, um, I understood this. I understood this. God bless you. Um, I did not grow up in the church, but when I came to Christ, I kind of jumped in with both feet. I wanted to love him and know him and do everything. I wasn't perfect. Not, pff, far from it. Far from it. But I understood this generosity thing or started to. And so I began to give and I began to tithe. And then I got married and we three had the same heart and we began to do that. And I understood it and I, pra- I never threw my whole weight on it. The generosity of God. Until things got really bad early in our marriage. Because I lost my job. And that is something that many of you can relate to. Especially in this economy, in this town. I was a, a, a writer for SeaWorld of Texas. And, and you'd be surprised, but when you put writing whale shows on your resume, not everybody's lining up to say, when can you start work? Okay? Doesn't open all the doors for you as you think it might. We went nine months. Every morning she would wake me up and, and tell me I was handsome and I'd put on my suit and she'd send me out and I'd go look for work. There was nothing. The economy was bad. The city was, and I was ill-prepared. There was nothing. I would do anything. Now, I found a painting job here or something like that for day, but there was nothing. And things got really, really tough. And some of you are there now. You understand this. I'm not, Tommy was three. He's now 22. Quin- so you were pregnant with Quincy, who is now uh, 18. And things got really bad. We would take Tommy on Saturdays because they would do this at, at big car lots. They put the banners and the, and the balloons. And if you test drive a car, um, they give you free pizza and hot dogs. And we would say to our three-year-old son, eat, eat. But I'm not hungry, Daddy have to eat. You have to eat. Tommy and I um, found a lot of change. Um, we went around and collected uh, all the change that we had in the house and whatever we could find, and we put it in a, a gallon Ziploc bag, and we went to the bank so they could turn it into money that we were not embarrassed to spend. And um, 
This is a big bank with a big lobby and marble floors. I'm standing in line, and I have my son's hand in one hand and, and a gallon Ziploc bag full of change in the other. And the bottom of the bag split. All our money. It's all over the floor of this bank. Very difficult for a proud man. And I repent of that. People started getting down on their hands and knees, collecting it up, and the bank gave us some bank bags to put it in. And there were dollars, paper dollars, that people had given because they understood. They understood. I'm not saying this so that you can feel sorry for us. Some of you are in this situation or worse. My sisters, who I was trying to be sort of a father to because my dad had died, were sending us boxes of cereal and toilet paper. It was very difficult, but I appreciated it so, so much, so much. And we would pray. We're trying to be faithful, you know. We're tithing the unemployment check. Like, here's some change, that's 10%. We're praying and we sense God placing on our heart. I want you to double it. What? Should we get the same thing? He wants to give us, us to give 20%. 20% of nothing. Okay, here you go. It was a little bit. Um, so we went to church and with trembling hand, we put that in the offering. And that week, I got a phone call uh, from a guy that I had met at a lunch. And he said, when can you start? I got a job that doubled my previous salary. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we give to God to pin his arm behind his back and make him bless us financially. I am not saying that. I am not saying that you should double whatever you give because then you're gonna get the job. I am saying this. When God lays something on your heart, when something is clear in God's word, you can stand on it because he is faithful. Because he is faithful. He has blessed us with more than I ever thought I would have. But with that blessing comes an enormous joyful responsibility of using that for his glory. That's what I'm trying to say. So how do we go about it? Paul answers us uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2. And he's talking to the church about how they should go about responding to the generous God with, the, with what he's placed on their heart. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, some of us like legalistic book people are going to, first day of every week. Is that the Jewish week? Because the first day would then be Sunday. But if it's a Gentile week, then the first day would be Monday. And I need to know, so I do, no. First day of every week just means when, God, when you get paid, God gets praised. 
<laughs> when you get paid, God gets thanked. That could be the first day of every month. It could be every two weeks. As he may prosper, it's proportionate. If God has blessed you with a little, give a little. If God has blessed you with a lot, give a lot. Give extravagantly. That's what God does. Why the first day of every week? Well, he's given us a picture of the first fruits. Now, what I want to do is show you a little bit about what he's talking about and why it's important if we're going to put God first, then to do it first rather than last. Anybody who has a card, I want you to come up. I got brownies here. It's going to end well for you. You are not the punchline to some joke. Just come on up without fear. This is going to be good. Now, they're numbered, so that's the order in which I want to see you. Who has number one? What does it say, Preston? Mortgage and rent. Get a napkin here. Mortgage and rent. You got to pay that, and it's big. So, Preston, my friend, you get two brownies. Because, like, that's probably one of the biggest expenses you're going to have, right? So, there you go, buddy. Who's got number two? What do you got? Food. 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 You got to eat, right? You're going to get a corner because that's important and it costs a lot, right? Okay. Go to City Market for your veg. Go to Safeway for the meat. That's my spend well. No, it's true. Have you ever seen the vegetables at Safeway or the meat at City Market? Yeah, okay. I love you. I'm here for you. That's why I tell you these things. Number three, what do you got? Utilities. This would include heat, wood, pellets, electricity, whatever you got. That's important. We're going to give you a brownie for that. You got to have a brownie. Here, take this. Don't make a mess. It's God's house, okay? There you go. God bless you. What you got? Clothing. Clothing. Yeah. We, uh, we need clothes, and that's important. So there you go. There you yeah. go. Okay, good for you. That's a designer brownie, by the way. There you go. <laughs> Clothing, yes. Insurance. insurance. You need insurance, car insurance, homeowner's insurance, life insurance, whatever kind of insurance you got. We're going to be insured, and we got to pay that. And if they don't... Give me your registration and insurance. You're going to the Hooskow, baby, if you don't have that brownie. Go ahead. What you got? Mobile phone, data plan, internet, cable, satellite, premium channels. Belly up here. We got you a corner piece. Yes, indeed. Okay, yeah. Way to go, Emily. Enjoy that. Yeah, how's your reception? Well, you could get a better plan. I'll give you a bigger brownie. There you go. What you got? Eating out. We can't be in just eating in all the time. How's Mario's going to stay open? That's right. We got to eat out. That's going to include going out, okay? That's our social life. That's our entertainment. Yeah, what you got? Uh, recreation. Recreation. Get that. Well, in, in this season, it's probably snowshoeing or skiing or boarding or something like that. Could be hunting or fishing. There you go. There you go. And you got recreation. And who, who's got nine? What does it say? It says God. It says God. But because I didn't do it first, hey, God, I'm going to take care of you. I'm on it. Because there's, there's stuff, there's some here, really. There you, there you go. If you would um, just take this and put it at the foot of the cross. Yeah. So Paul says at the first of the week, at the first of the month, set aside. 
Because if we really say God's first priority, we can't make him last priority when it comes to our finances. I don't mean to be crude with that example, but we have a tendency, if you're anything like me, for your expenses to grow with your income. It's not a very popular thing to live below your means. But when we do, we have enough. We have enough. You'd be amazed that 90% in God's hand can do far more than 100% in your own. And I don't want your money. God has already given us a lot of it. His kingdom, his, his work. More than the church needs the money, we need to become givers. Let me show you. These are good brownies, my wife, man. There's more because we didn't get this far in the first service, right? You get to stay long. Here we go. This is how it does work. I want to show you. Malachi 3.10. Bring it up. This is the way it should work. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says God, and thereby put me to the test. If you ever want to test God, here's an invitation. He says, put me to the test. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He's saying, look, do give your thanks back to me and I'm gonna make sure I take care of you. We just got finished with the budget. So we had the um, business meeting and we just approved the budget. And around budget time, you hear a lot of mature Christians say this, well-meaning, well, we're just gonna trust God to meet the budget. Sounds spiritual, but this verse says it's unscriptural. In this verse, what God is saying is, you meet the budget for my work, and then you trust me to meet your needs. See, trusting God to meet the budget doesn't require any faith. What he's saying is step out and do what I've called you to do and watch how I'm gonna bless. That's not the prosperity gospel. It's Jesus, given and will be given to you, shaken down, pushed down, together, the whole thing. I want to show you. Ty, Ty, can you help me? You like Doritos? They're good. They're good. Um, we're going to give you a napkin. Okay. Now, if you watch the Super Bowl, you know that Doritos are not only good, but they're good for licking people's fingers. So I'd like you to have this bag, this hunger grab, big bag of nacho cheese Doritos. You're welcome. Before you, well, go ahead, open it. Before you eat one, can I have, can I have like two? Thanks, man. Thank you. Because you gave me these Doritos. I'd like you to have another bag. You're welcome. You're welcome, man. You're offering some to Dory? That's beautiful, man. Dory, can I have a piece of that chip? Thanks, sweetie. Keep up the good work. That's God's economy. That's God's economy. Bring food into my house for my purposes, to reach people, to feed the poor, to comfort the hurting. You watch. You watch what I'm going to do. Don't get all twisted with the prosperity gospel. 
It's just not a way to get rich. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you already are. The check that we write here is the most beautiful, joyful thing that I do financially every month, every month, because there is coming a day for each one of us. When we see the vastness of God's generosity and think, I could have been so much more generous. I bought lots of stuff. But I want souls. I want people that I love to know you. I want people who are poor to know there's a generous God. How are they going to know if his people aren't? This is not about guilt. I grew up Catholic. I understand guilt. It's not. And it's not about money, really. It's about our hearts. And it's always, always about Jesus. Let's pray.